This is The Guardian. The crash in the value of cryptocurrencies has wiped out life savings, knocked over billion-dollar companies and sent tremors through the digital economy. But will Bitcoin bounce back? It started off small, you know, like everybody, you start with $100, $200, then it starts going, you know, soon you'll be investing in a couple thousand, then your investment is worth a car, and then your investment is worth like a one-bed flat. Alex Coe is one of the roughly two million people in Britain who has bought into cryptocurrencies. And like many of them, he thought he'd struck a gold mine. It was a it was life-changing overnight money that as an investor in stocks and shares, you don't see that in a month. You see that over decades, you know, but it happened overnight and it was incredible. I was close to to be able to quit my job. You know, I, you know, my retirement plans was like 2035 and then it went 2030 and then it went 2025. And then I shared a video saying, you know, it's guys it's starting to be life-changing here. Alex wasn't just an investor. He was a true believer, and he began spreading the word on his YouTube channel. Get ready to buy Luna, and this is my buy trigger. Luna is about 77. My buy trigger zone is around about 58 to 63, so get ready. I got a lot of pushback from my viewers because many people who watched me were family investors, and they were saying, like, Alex, crypto is a scam. You know, don't go it. So I, but I persisted because I, I, I thought it was the, the, the next big thing. With Luna, I was so involved it became a tribe i was part of the tribe and i was there with the community defending terra luna but then disaster struck in may of this year the currency called luna that alex had his money in suddenly crashed and then the death spiral came in luna went from 100 to zero virtually in the span of 72 hours. The Terra blockchain, as the Luna token fell to near zero. It restarted soon after that. Then late last night, they did it again. The blockchain halted for a second time as the Luna token dropped. Do you remember how you felt when you realised that, that it all gone, that you'd lost all that money? I, I, I was frozen. I was caught off guard. I, I didn't know what to do. I realised that I'm not going to get it back. It's like the moment where, you know, there's an oncoming truck coming onto you with huge headlights and what could you do? I, I, I couldn't hold onto the steering wheel. I, I just lost every emotion, every control, every muscle, every brain functionality. And I just head on to the crash. Whatever I had in plans a few months, a few weeks ago, it was all gone. It wasn't the money loss. It was the plans. It was the dream. It was the family situation that I could bring them out of. I think the, the most difficult bit I recall was to face the family. That phone call to my mom and dad, and I had to apologize to them. It's like, I apologize because I felt like I was a failure. I, I went home. I couldn't hold back my tears at work. I had to take you know, the day off, the week off, and go back home and eventually tell my wife that everything is lost. All that promise that I told you that would happen a month ago, that's all gone. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, 
Understanding the Crypto Crash. Alex Hearn, as The Guardian's technology editor, can you remind us about the beginning of Bitcoin? When did it first emerge and why? Way back in the ancient days of 2009, Bitcoin arrived. The global financial crisis was still very much in the offing. Completely wiped out. It was the worst day on Wall Street since the crash of 1987. From the financial capital of the world, the opening bell is going to ring in uh, five seconds. And to be honest with you, we wish it wouldn't. Traders here working the phone say a lot of their customers are freaked out. Oh, I was a first year economics student at university. Uh, being told that we had to rip up the textbooks and start again because no one had quite understood until then how systematically weak the banks were and how much damage they could inflict. You know, we were in the middle of the Great Recession at that point, and there was sort of also a, a genuine optimism that maybe we might come out of that with everything being changed. The original ideology that underpinned Bitcoin and that went on to underpin a lot of what we now call cryptocurrencies was staunchly uh, in favor of hard money. It had the sense of Austrian economics, this idea that inflation is caused by governments printing money. And Bitcoin embodies in its code this idea that money should be limited, it should be controlled in its creation and uncontrolled in every other way. And did you expect that Bitcoin would spawn this whole new alt-financial system of cryptocurrencies? No. Well, firstly, I thought it would stay an interesting intellectual curiosity. Then I thought it would remain just a useful way of dealing drugs online. Then I thought it would be this boom and bust speculative vehicle. I couldn't have foreseen it becoming the trillion dollar industry it is, even now as we speak after a historic collapse in the entire sector. Alex, not to sound like my dad, although I probably should always take lessons from my dad. How can something that doesn't have a physical asset behind it, it's not gold, it's not diamonds, oil and expensive artwork, it's a note on a digital ledger that says you can own a coin that for the most part you can't even spend in places or on things. How did it lure people in? A few ways. Different crowds of the initial backers had different reasons for joining it. For some people, it was just an appealing technology. And then also, if you want a way to commit crimes on the internet, Bitcoin very quickly proved its worth for that. One of the things, I'm not immune to it, like there is absolutely a sense of community here. It's a community of snakes. I don't think any community that is ultimately built on people trying to get individually wealthy can ever truly come together. I, I think it's the same sort of community you find in multi-level marketing groups where sort of there is a camaraderie and us versus them approach, but also buried below it is I would stab you in the back to take your share of the profits. One of the things is if you do it right, this can be fun. It can be the fun of a gambling addiction or it can be the fun of falling headfirst into a conspiracy theory group those are communities that have a long history of tight emotional connections. And I think this is, this is one of them. And that's the harsh way of putting it.
I mean, that is a very harsh way of putting it. Alex, when did you first realise that cryptocurrency was no longer a niche online concern and actually a massive mainstream phenomenon? In stops and starts, but realising that non-techie friends owned Bitcoin because they wanted to buy drugs on the internet was the first of many wake-up calls. This realisation that, okay, this thing is more than a curiosity. This thing is, is having an effect on the world offline as well. That effect is getting cheap MDMA through the post, but that's a real effect. From there, though, we had these boom and bust cycles. A big hit for Bitcoin. U.S. authorities arrested a man known as the Dread Pirate Roberts and shut down what's called the Silk Road. It's not so after the first uh, Silk Road, this online drugs marketplace, after that got shut down by the American government, there was then one quiet period. The first Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Gox, collapsed catastrophically. Police in Japan have arrested Mark Capellas, the CEO of a failed Bitcoin company. Mt. Gox was one of the world's largest Bitcoin exchanges until last year. It lost millions worth of Bitcoins, leaving angry investors without their money. The value of Bitcoin dropped and then it came up and we had the second wave, which was this wave of new businesses built around it. The first time we started talking about cryptocurrency rather than Bitcoin. That, I think, was the first time I really saw it becoming mainstream, when you saw this sector having enough money to buy celebrity endorsements, when you saw get-rich-quick schemes that did actually make people rich quick. The bottom fell out of it, but as has become quite common with Bitcoin, it didn't fall back quite as low as it had been before that latest boom. And then now, since broadly the beginning of the pandemic to now, it's gone more than mainstream. It's become perhaps even saturation. Can you explain to me how that happened in the last couple of years? In the pandemic, some people were stuck at home with suddenly no real expenses, nothing much to do, full or nearly full salary, and an awful lot of time on their hands. In quarantine, some people took up baking and knitting, and I deep-dived into crypto and NFTs. And I'll tell you why, like all jokes aside. And that led, amongst other things, to a boom in day trading, first in stocks, then later in crypto. The stock trading app Robinhood, which is the center of the discussion in America, has always let you buy and sell cryptocurrencies since around 2018. And then in 2021, we saw this real massive increase in interest in the cryptocurrency world. We saw record-breaking valuations for, for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for the leading cryptocurrencies. We saw the NFT boom, a novel financial asset that lets you buy and sell anything that you can make a digital version of. And the industry really went into the full mainstream. It hit its peak of around $3 trillion of combined market cap worth around two apples overall. And you know there was a widespread belief that it could go further still. And I guess it was also in the pandemic that you saw major celebrities, and I'm talking Kim Kardashian, Gwyneth Paltrow, Larry David, and Matt Damon, suddenly urging us to invest in cryptocurrency. And steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. Alex, did this feel normal to you? No. One of the sadder things about this boom is that it has led to 
a lot of people I like and respect trading on that respect. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Like, this was an effect of two things. It was an effect of the huge amounts of money washing into the sector. And it was an outcome of one of the fundamental truths of the cryptocurrency sector, which is that it's momentum-driven. Things that get a lot of interest and investment tend to get more interest and investment. It's a speculative bubble. All of these companies are hoping to convince you that they are also assets that you can buy low and sell high. And that means once you hit a trillion dollar, a three trillion dollar value of the industry at large, you can't anymore speak to the crypto bros. You need to go out and you need to convince normal people who are just trying to save their money well to save it with you. And you do that by offering a a suite of services that look increasingly like the conventional financial system. You just make it easy. Perhaps the cruel way of putting it is easy for the dumb money to come in. And so when do you think in all of this that crypto reached its peak, if it has? We can put a date on it. Got to start with Bitcoin. New highs overnight, 69,000. What's going on here? November 8th last year. Bitcoin peaked at $69,000. This is a currency that when I first wrote about it, I called a bubble at $33. I should underscore, I am not providing investment advice. And in fact, if you did the exact opposite of everything I've ever said about cryptocurrency, you would almost certainly have enough money to retire on. And since then, the tale of the sector has been First, a steady decline and then a quick Bitcoin one. Bitcoin now at its lowest price since December of 2020. We are the south crypto of markets 20- now reportedly worth just over a trillion dollars, just a third of its value six months ago. It was another cringe day for crypto. Digital currencies sold off again today with Bitcoin closing back. back in- well, that's the thing. In recent months, I've noticed more and more stories of people saying that they've lost all their money on crypto or there's a news story about one currency or another that has completely crashed. What's been going on? The peak was a pretty classic speculative bubble. Bitcoin peaked in late 2021 and then sort of initially just fell prey to the general headwinds against tech stocks. When inflation is high, people need to sort of take their money out and put it into safer bets. Bitcoin is a risky bet. So in a risk-off trade, the general financial world turned a bit against it and it started to decline. What happened in May and June of this year is that that steady decline started to leave individual big players in the space underwater. The first failure was an algorithmic stablecoin called Terra, which didn't work the way it was supposed to. That's exactly a week since one of the biggest, supposedly most stable cryptocurrencies took a massive tumble. Terra Luna lost 99% of its value from a high of $118 to just $0.09 cents spooking investors. It was supposed to stay at a value of $1 forever, backed up by the company that made it owning around $10 billion worth of Bitcoin that it hoped to buy and sell to keep the value roughly stable. The value was not stable. There was a market panic. Enough of it was sold that all of the Bitcoin they used to back up its value ran out, value plummeted, and a $40 billion or so project dropped to effectively zero overnight. The drop was caused in part by the steady decline in Bitcoin because it meant that this war chest that they'd built up to preserve the value turned out to be empty. But it also caused a much bigger drop because it turns out if $40 billion of value in a very 
strongly interlinked sector of the economy disappears overnight, other companies and other projects start to falter as well. So Terra, this stablecoin, had an allied project called Anchor, which functioned as a sort of savings and loan bank. Anchor faltered because Terra faltered, and so anyone who had invested their money in Anchor lost their money. Three Arrows Capital, a large hedge fund, as we speak, has just been declared insolvent and is being liquidated by regulators in BVI because they had all of their money in Anchor. Three Arrows Capital had large outstanding loans to Voyager, a crypto bank. Voyager has now issued a notice of insolvency against Three Arrows Capital and had to borrow $650 million from the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. What happens if Voyager can't pay back FTX is the next thing we may or may not find out. It does sound a lot like 2008. And I think you don't have to be a financial brain. You can be me and look at this and can see those dominoes collapsing. 2008 was very similar. A huge financial industry had been built up on complex financial assets that turned out to be worth a lot less than anyone thought they were. The difference is in 2008, those complex financial assets were derivatives that ultimately had their value resting on the homes of American homeowners. In the crypto world, the value ultimately rests on nothing. In 2008, you took 100 mortgages, you put them in a box, you sold the box, you split up the box, and eventually it was unclear what was inside the box that anyone owned. And so when they all collapsed at once, it took people by surprise. In the crypto world, you put nothing in a box and you split up the box and you sell the box. And everyone knows at every stage that they have a box of nothing. And yet they're still surprised when they open the box and find there's nothing inside it. And, and that is the part that baffles me. I, I absolutely understand the appeal to gamble and make money. But what surprises me is that there are people who I thought were smarter, who nonetheless seem surprised that the house has come tumbling down around them when they were, they were betting on boxes full of nothing. Coming up, are cryptocurrencies just a giant Ponzi scheme? Alex, I've been talking to another Alex, Alex Co, who lost a huge amount of money in the last couple of months, but he's not the only one. Who have been the biggest losers in this crypto crash? There's lots of ways to put this. I mean, we can put names. We can say one of the biggest losers is South Korean entrepreneur Do Kwon, who was the charismatic, argumentative visionary behind this Terra stablecoin, built up a business worth $40 billion, a war chest of Bitcoin worth 10, was incredibly argumentative in a way that won him a legions of fans defending his project. And it dropped to zero and may have triggered the collapse of not only his business empire, but an entire sector of the economy. Perhaps the, the biggest losers, you know, are the people who took out a second mortgage on their house and used it to buy Terra, the stablecoin that he promoted. Terra, which is a stablecoin. It's not supposed to be a risky bet. It's supposed to be worth $1 forever. I spoke to a man in Kiev who at the beginning of the war moved a significant chunk of his life savings, $10,000 into Terra because he didn't want to keep it in cash in case he had to go to a shelter and Russian soldiers looted his house. And he lost it all as well. $10,000 is a drop in the water for Doquan, but for him, it was everything he had. This is a sector that re you regularly see the Samaritans helpline 
pinned to the top of Reddit pages because when it goes south, it goes south hard and people who are leveraged up to the gills making bets on currencies that smarter people than them had assured them could only go up. Elon Musk has been very vocal about his support of cryptocurrencies. Part of the reason why I think there's some merit to Dogecoin is that it, it actually does have a much higher transaction volume capability than Bitcoin. And the, you know, the, the, the cost of doing a transaction, the Dogecoin fee is, is very low. Like right now, if you want to do it. And but... he's promoted one particular cryptocurrency, Dogecoin, with its slogan, to the moon. To the moon. And if you take that at face value, why hedge? Why do anything other than put everything you have on it? Alex, is it fair to say then that the crypto market has operated as a giant Ponzi scheme that even while it has made some people very rich, it has duped many more others? The question of whether crypto is a Ponzi scheme is it's one of these foundational questions, right? I mean, it's not something that only know-nothing skeptics have plucked out of thin air. Warren Buffett famously said he wouldn't buy all the Bitcoin in the world for $25. Now, if you told me you owned all of the Bitcoin in the world and you offered it to me for $25, I wouldn't take it because what would I do with it? Um, I have to sell it back to you one way or another. I mean, the, the basic accusation that this is a Ponzi scheme is that the only way you get rich with cryptocurrency, the only way you end up with pounds in your bank account is by finding someone to sell your cryptocurrency onto. And that is the description of a Ponzi scheme. It's different from the wider economy. Although people might trade stocks by hoping to buy low and sell high, Stocks represent ownership of productive entities. The reason why a stock of Tesco has value is because Tesco is a profit-making business. And even if Tesco never paid dividends, you would still own a share of a real profit-making business that carries out real economic activity and turns real profit. The crypto economy, the Ponzi criticism goes, is entirely self-contained. There isn't real economic value being created there. There is new money coming in going into black boxes, and then profits coming out the other side. But that there isn't the actual productive economic activity that you need to have to justify something going up in value. And so it is doomed to always have these boom-bust cycles. People buy in, sell on, buy in, sell on, buy in, sell on, until one day there is no greater fool. Someone has bought in and there is no one they can sell to at a higher price. And then the whole thing happens in reverse. People panic and sell and panic and sell and panic and sell and the whole thing collapses. And we have seen this pattern play out in the Bitcoin space four times, five maybe. I lose track. Speaking of which, Alex, you have been inadvertently caught up in a crypto scam. Can you tell me what happened? I got a series of messages from people asking if I had heard of a shitcoin called Dejitarisuka. And shitcoin is a term of art. Um, a shitcoin is broadly a cryptocurrency explicitly created for no purpose other than buying low and selling high. There are thousands of them. You can create them in seconds, spin them up. Uh, and it is a community of people who, for the same thrill as betting on the horses, get together, buy a shitcoin, pump it up talk talk to everyone else in the community about how great this one is that's what i'm doing this is a shit coin i believe in it's my favorite one to be honest you believe my ownership in tits coin just bought me this beautiful rolls royce get yours now how 
safe and secure it is, how the, the owner has already promised to, you know, delete half their coins to keep the value high. And you, you bubble it up, bubble it up until it gets high enough that you personally want to sell out. And if you sell too late, you lose money. If you buy in too late, you lose money. If you sell at just the right time, you make a profit. And so I was asked whether I'd heard of this particular shit coin, Deji Tarasuka. I hadn't, but immediately panicked because someone asked me whether hern.alex at protonmail.com was my email address, which it isn't, but it's certainly the sort of email address you might sign up for if you wanted to pretend to be me. And indeed, it turned out that the developer of the shitcoin said uh, they were strongly pretending to be me. And so I joined the Telegram group where this community was talking about it and said that they were being lied to. Uh, got chucked out of the Telegram community immediately, but the damage had been done and the, the value of the coin collapsed by, I think, tenfold. Um, and then it didn't die because there was a weird second wave. What actually happened is um, the sales pitch of here's a crypto coin that pretended to be someone from The Guardian was enough to get people interested. It became its own foundational myth. Since I wrote a piece telling my side of the story, it's gone up 42 times. Still, even that said, Alex, from everything you're saying, it does sound like cryptocurrency is in crisis. What else is its crash affecting? So far, touch laminated table, not that much. If you weren't deeply invested in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, so far, you've got away scot-free. And one of the big unspoken questions here is whether or not the collapse of cryptocurrencies is going to filter out into and affect the wider economy. Five years ago, the answer would have been definitely no. No big business had done enough to really run any serious risks. In five years' time, if there hadn't been a crash, the answer would have been probably yes. There were an increasing number of large, serious financial players and large, serious technology companies who were turning their eye towards the crypto space. Now we're on this cusp. It could go either way. I think that even a wipe to zero wouldn't harm the wider economy that much. Has the money for investors been lost forever? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Money's not energy. Like, Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It is always conserved. That's not true of money. You can waste money. You can pay for something that it turns out is worth less than you bought it for. You can hire a team of engineers to sit in a room for six months to build nothing. In the case of crypto, yeah, like this was a sector that was worth $3 trillion and is now worth $1 trillion. And that is $2 trillion of value that the world thought had been created that in fact has not. There really is value that's just gone up in smoke. Alex Coe, as someone who's seen the good times and the bad times with crypto investing, what advice would you go back and give yourself or give to someone who's still got money tied up in it? First and foremost, I would say always take profit. Overnight wealth doesn't last. And second thing I would tell myself is, you know, good things don't last for too long. Everything that happens really good, it's like a drug, you know? It's like, you know, when you 
have a great night out, have loads of alcohol, have a great night out, it lasts us only that, that moment. The hangover effect is actually longer than that, that good time. So if something happens too good, too real for a very good reason, don't hang in there for too long. Remember to leave the party before everybody else. After the incident, I needed to pick up myself because after two weeks, three weeks, I've heard stories about people taking their lives. I've, I've seen folks going into depression. And then when I reflect and look back at myself on week three and week four, I said, Alex, you know, you're not that bad. You've lost money. I'm, I'm hoping to prepare to work harder to, to find opportunities in the near future. I don't want to stay beaten down. I do want to recover. I still do want to walk on that path to give my family, you know, the, the dreams that I've always shared with them. Alex Hearn, where do you see the cryptocurrency market heading now? There are more dominoes to fall. And so I think you would be a fool if you thought this was the bottom. I don't think we'll get to zero. As long as there are two nerds with two computers, there will be Bitcoin. And we're always going to get these boom and busts. For the next wave to be bigger, it needs more people need to put more money into it. And we're running out of those people. But there's a lot of people who, you know, don't have the internet. And if we get the next billion online and the next billion buy into the next Ponzi scheme. Who knows, right? Like there are ways it could grow. I am skeptical. I am a skeptic of this technology, but I have to acknowledge that I've been wrong a lot. Finally, Alex, what should I do if I'm offered the opportunity to invest in a new cryptocurrency that I'm told that you have personally endorsed? Please do drop me personally a line and warn me that it's happening again. (laughs) Alex, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was Alex Hearn, The Guardian's UK technology editor, and Alex Coe. Thanks very much to them. You can follow all of The Guardian's reporting on cryptocurrencies at theguardian.com, where you can also sign up for Alex Hearn's excellent weekly technology newsletter, Techscape. The Samaritans are available in the UK 24 hours a day on 116-123 or by emailing joe at samaritans.org. That is it for today. The producers were Clitia Sala and Natalie Khetena. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.